cheering. Thanks, Kyle. Nice shirt. Well, good evening. How are you guys doing? Thank you. Uh, hopefully you've heard this a bunch this week so far. I know it's only Tuesday, but hopefully you've heard it a bunch. Thank you so much for serving up here. How many of you, this is your first time up here for Servants Week? Man, thank you so much. And how many of you have been doing it longer than you have fingers? You can't count that high. Yeah. Doug and Cheryl, how many years? 10 or 12? Longer than that? 29. Alan and Peggy are like, let me just go ahead and throw down <laughs> right now. Well, thank you guys so much for coming up here. This is a season that some people uh, mistakenly call the off season. Uh, it's actually not true. Since Country Fair, I was thinking through what we've done. We've had um, two men's retreats, three, three women's retreats, four weeks of spiritual education, three weeks of outdoor education, a pastor's retreat, a marriage retreat. Um, we're about to have a creative arts conference. We're about to have father-daughter retreat. Uh, youth pastors, and then also family dirt out in the desert. So we do like 17 events in, a, in over like in like 12 weeks. I think it's busier than summer. Um, and so you guys being up here to help us prep for winter is so great, and uh, it brings me much joy to see the piles of pine needles all around camp. So how many of you, your backs are feeling it right now? Yeah, can I just can you guys get those piles cleaned up? Um, <laughs> Because, no, I'm just kidding. Thank you so much. My name is Jason Andrews, as, as Morgan said. Um, I'm the director of program here. Um, I was, I've been here for a little over five years and uh, did family or adult and family ministries for the first, uh, well, just about five years. And then for the last four months or so, have been doing the director of program job, which basically means I get a chance to work with not only our adult and family retreats, but also with our youth uh, camps and retreats here and then also down in Hume SoCal and Hume New England, and so um, it is just a, a joy to be up here. Uh, we grew up, I grew up coming here. I came here as a, a senior in 1989. Um, some of you, you're like, that. I was like ne older than that. So never mind, uh, I, I won't go into your ages. But I came here as a senior in 1989, um, and I'd never been to Hume before, and came because of a girl, and uh, came up with her church, Calvary Church Santa Ana, knew no one except her, and she broke up with me the first night of camp um, <laughs> on the rock outside Ponderosa Chapel that will be here until, like, the, the end of time, and so I see it all the time, and I thought, I'll never come back to Hume again. That place is terrible. I had a terrible week. It was the summer I turned 18, and uh, God has a funny sense of humor, right? So in 93, I started working at a church in Irvine, and where did they come to camp? Hume Lake. I'm like, there's the rock. Right there. Uh, my, my wife and I, though, got married in 94, and then from 95 until 2017, never missed a summer coming up here, bringing students, stayed in every male guy's cabin up here on the, on the slope, including the Bellevues, one, two, and three, over the course of summers. I think registration had it out for our church. Uh, if you've ever been in Bellevue, you know what I mean. Um, but just grew up loving this place, uh, both my boys just have come here every year since they were born, and now they're 23 and 21. Um, and so just, it's a joy to be here. And I know I've gotten to speak to you guys a little bit in the past, a couple different times at volunteer weeks. So I hope I'm not doing the same message. Uh, I probably should have fact-checked that. But um, I, I was a youth pastor for many, many years before coming here, and then a family ministries pastor. And um, yeah, so we, we love living here and love getting to know some of you guys and your faithful service over the years. So um, typically, 
I love teaching passages of scripture, uh, exegetical teaching where um, we, we are, we're in a book, like for example, in our church right now, I'm one of the elders here at Hume Lake Community Fellowship, and we're teaching through First and Second Timothy, and I love having that section, that chunk, you know, eight verses to get through. Tonight is very different for me. I'm doing um, a topical message where we're going to be looking at like 50 passages um, over the course of time, but I, I thought it was a, an important message for our world right now. Um, it's birthed out of uh, a season of extreme difficulty that the Lord took my wife and I through when she was diagnosed with cancer, and we went through uh, a really brutal year of surgeries and medications and tests that never went our way and no answers all the time and fights with insurance and chemotherapy and the whole thing. Um, and the Lord in that season really began to teach us and grow us on how, like this concept of the fact that, that as believers, we're told there will be difficult times. Like it's not a surprise. We're told there will be difficult times. But in the Bible, there is no just getting through it. There is, there is thriving in the midst of difficulties. There is growth. There is the continued process of sanctification. There is pressing into the Lord. There is joy to be found in all of those circumstances. And as I read the Bible, there is nowhere where it's just like, hey, get through it. Maybe better days are coming. Just kind of like, just survive. No, no we're, we're meant to thrive in the midst of difficult times. And these last couple of years, I don't know if they've been super easy for you, but um, they've been difficult times. Um, and so, and not just not just COVID or, or finances, but even just difficult in our life as we've launched one son out into the world and another one just turned 21 and trying to figure out how you parent adult kids. Like, I would love some advice on that because it's not easy <laughs> trying to figure out what is my role. In fact, tonight at dinner, I mistakenly said all these little kids, including Forrest Zielsdorf, was running around, and I was just sitting there, and I actually said these words out loud. I am so glad I'm not a parent anymore. And I'm sitting next to my son. <laughs> and my wife goes, what? And I said, you know what I mean. And she goes, no, enlighten us. <laughs> and I said, and I just kept putting food in my mouth. <laughs> but like, it's difficult, right? And so our difficulties in life may be brought on by pandemics. They may be brought on by frankly, our own sins, right, sometimes. Maybe the sins of others or just the fact that the world is broken. Paul says in the book of Romans that all of creation is longing and groaning for the time that things will be made right again. And so we see things, natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, uh, trees falling over on people's houses. Like just, there's, there's things that are just broken in our world. And then through all those things, I believe that the Lord's desire for us is to press into him and to grow and find joy in the midst of all of those things. And so I just want to share with you some principles that he taught, the Lord taught Tiffany and I as we were going through these difficult times through his word, through um, gifted teachers, through people, sh people sharing uh, incredible passages with us. And so, um, and hopefully there'll be of some, some use to you guys. So, so four and a half points, five points, you can write them down if you want, or you can ask me later, or you can, um, I, I taught this this last weekend at men's retreat, and so if you want to listen to the recording, you can. You can go on the media page, because Rob, we don't record these, right? Oh, we do. Well, then you can listen to it again. There you go. Um, okay, number one, this is a fun one. Ready? You are not the point. 
So you, you are not the, the point. As, as humans, we can be pretty um, messed up sometimes. We can be pretty, uh, really pretty awful sometimes. And, and we, we can ignore God's commandments and that can lead us into sin. We can let selfishness drive us away from the Lord. We can erect false idols in our life that cause us to worship other things than the Lord. Uh, we can get distracted, right? We can do all these things. And I think in this, we have to come back to this reminder over and over again that we are not the point. That God's grand scheme of what he's doing throughout all of human history in his eternality has you at the center of it. Like, it's just, it's not biblical. I, I, I can't think of any time that someone has ever said the sentence, well, I just don't believe that God would want me to, and then had that sentence end biblically. Right? It's, it's never that. It's like, I don't think that God, you know, wouldn't want me to be happy. And so, or I don't think God would want me to be stuck in a, in, a, in a marriage that I'm not being satisfied in. I don't think that God would want me to, you know, give up my money for this. I don't think that God would want me to take this job that, like, well, you're putting things on God because you're forming him in your image and in your desires, not in who he has revealed himself to be. And when we put ourselves at the center of what's going on, it causes all sorts of issues. And so I just want to say that again. We are not the point. You're not the point. Your, your marriage isn't the point. Your kids aren't the point. Your job isn't the point. Any relationship, not the point. The Lord is the point. Let me tell you what I mean from Scripture. So James 4, uh, 13 through 15. I'll, I'll, I'll quote some verses, then we'll turn to some also. Uh, James says, Come now, those of you, and you, you might remember this passage, Come now, those of you who say, tomorrow we'll go to such and such a place, or next week we'll go and do this, such a thing. And he says, you foolish people, you don't know what tomorrow brings. In fact, he says, uh, your life is like a mist, like a vapor. Um, over the weekend in men's retreat, we got the, the fog machine going. I don't know why, but we were doing worship, and the lights were going, and there was lasers and everything. I don't know. It's like, and, the, and the fog kind of lifted up, and I'm like, Oh, look at us. We got a fog machine going on in here. And the fog is really funny because it hangs in the air for a second and then just disappears. And that's why they have to kind of run it more and more because it just hangs in the air and then just disappears. And James isn't meaning to like demean you. He's not meaning to belittle you. He's, he's just expressing the fact that in comparison to the Lord, an arrogant one who thinks that he can define his reality or define his future Oh my gosh, you're just like a mist, or you're like a vapor, or Psalm 144. What is man, O Lord, that you should even think about him? He is like a breath. His days are a passing shadow. Or Isaiah 40, 6 through 8, all flesh is like grass. And right, and then what does the psalmist, or what does Isaiah say? And the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever, right? And so we are like a vapor or a mist or a passing wind or a blade of grass. And again, that's not to say you're worthless. It's to say in comparison to the one who is the point, we are really nothing. We're not the point. Turn with me to Acts 17. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, that's totally fine. We're going to read it. I don't hear a lot of pages rustling, and so that's okay. We're going we're gonna to read this together. Or if you've got your devices, you can pull those out. Um, I'm sure we gave you free Wi-Fi. Oh, I, sorry, that was, that was a joke. Uh, so Acts 17, 24. So Paul is in Athens, and he is teaching at a place called the Areopagus, and he is 
uh, being very observant. And if you remember the story, he's walking around, he's seeing all these idols. And there's an idol to this god, maybe it's the god of fertility. And there's an idol to this god, it's the god of war. Then there's the god of, of crops and, and, you know, beneficial land growth or whatever the things might be, the god of love, the god of marriage, the god of whatever. And then there's this idol to an unknown god. And it's these Athenians who are just kind of covering all their bases because they don't want to make any god angry. Because if they make that god angry, they lose in war. If they make that god angry, they don't get any crops. If they make that god angry, the water's not going to be sweet, right? And so then there's this other one, just so we don't offend anyone. And Paul's like, I see that you're very religious. You remember this story? Yeah, I see that you have this altar to an inscription, the inscription to an unknown god. Verse 24, or 23, he says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God, not a God, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands, I love this, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. The the theology of this verse paints a picture of a God so big and so independent of anything that we can do or give or offer. He is the point. He is the God who's made everything, and he doesn't require anything from us. So if you think that you're the major player in the story, the the Bible begs to differ. And so um, I I love movies. I love watching movies. I just, uh, too many, right? Too many movies. If I had a friend, let me paint an illustration for you, who wanted to break into Hollywood and was like, I'm going to go do it. I'm going to move to Hollywood. I'm gonna, you know, and they had maybe done a few commercials or whatever. And then finally, you got the phone call and they're like, I had my big breakthrough. I'm a movie star. And you're like, awesome. Hey, so here's what we're going to do. I've rented out the whole theater. And they've agreed to have you know, an early release of the movies. Come watch it. And he invites all of his friends. And they come. And there's great hors d'oeuvres. And there's popcorn and the drinks whatever. And you're watching the movie. And then it ends. And, and you're like, ah. It was a good movie, but I, I didn't see you. And then he's like flabbergasted, standing in front of the auditorium like, like this with a screen behind him going, what do you mean? What, rewind it to minute 28, 2844. And so 2844, right? Chase scene in the mall. Cops chasing the bad guys, you know, like whatever. And they're running through. And then the, the scene ends, and he's like, what do you think? And you're like, still didn't see you. I don't know. It's like, I don't know. Go back. 20, 28, 44. Show it again. Freeze it. Yeah. What do you think? And then you're like, oh, you're, you're man-holding cup. You're, you're man-holding cup. And you've seen those in the, in the, in the, in the, the credits, right? Yeah. It's like man-holding cup. And, and he's like, yeah? And you're like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so good. And he's like, I made it. I made it in Hollywood. Wouldn't you feel so sad for that person? Wouldn't you just feel like you'd go, oh, really, really good. Oh, my gosh. Like, so awkward, right? Because he was delusional to think that he was the star of the movie. And I think that there's sometimes the Lord in heaven looks down on us as we've placed ourselves at the center and made ourselves the point and and, and is like, oh, this is awkward. They think they're the point. Like, 
and, 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 and again, I don't mean this in a demeaning way, but we're not even man-holding cup. We're, we're like cup. <laughs> and like, right? That, that's, and it's not a significance thing. It's just an in comparison to the Lord. We are not the point. And, and here's why this is an important thing. Because when we put ourselves as the center, then everything that happens to us that's negative in our lives is, is an attack against us, is an affront against us, is an assault against us, because we've put ourselves in the middle. And whatever else is going on in the world in that moment ceases to really matter. And what really matters is how we feel and how it affects us. And I experience this all the time driving up the mountain, all the time, when I'm behind a slow car. Because when I'm driving up the mountain behind a slow car, it is not anything to do with that person's maybe... Maybe the condition of their car or their level of comfort with the road or maybe it's the first time driving on by a cliff. It's, not, it's, it's an attack against me. And so what happens in me is I, I find myself becoming angry at this stranger for ignoring the slow turnout signs. And I, and I think they're, they're probably doing it on purpose. It's a plot against me. And, right, and, and I just, because in that moment, I've put myself at the center and no one else's feelings, conditions, nothing matters. And it's a miserable way to live your life when you put yourself as the point. And when you remove yourself, it is so freeing. It's so freeing to know that your perspective has gotten to the right place because then God then is truly allowed to start, or not allowed, able to start working in your life when you remove yourself from the center. So first point, and that'll be one of the ones we spend more time on, but you're not the point. Secondly, knowing God, and these are things that the Lord taught us in this time a struggle, and continues to grow in me. Knowing God is the key to loving him and being able to trust him in the midst of difficult circumstances. So knowing him is the key to being able to love him and trust him in the midst of difficult circumstances. I think you're going to understand how that makes sense, but let me just uh, talk a little bit about that. Um, we, we need to fill our minds more and more of what is true about the Lord. We need to fill our minds more and more and more with what is true about the Lord, because I think you'll agree if you've walked with the Lord for any number of time at all, amount of time, there are a lot of mysteries that go along with our understanding of, of the Lord, right? There are a lot of things that we just cannot grasp or understand or why he does or allows things to happen. Agreed? Like if you've got all those figured out, we, I just need to stop right now, bring you up here and explain those things because there is a lot of mystery. And so when we're faced with the mysteriousness of God, we have to go back to what we do know to be true about him and his character. And so we could talk for a long time about the characteristics of God. We at Hume has, have felt that it's so important. We spent basically two full summers looking at the attributes of God with both our Kajua theme and our Jira theme because we, we knew that students needed to know the Lord and needed to know and understand his character. We could talk about his omnipresence, his transcendence, the fact that he's infinite, that he's truth, he's love, he's just. Look at, I want to look at three of his characteristics just really fast. Again, this could be weeks. Um, God is eternal, okay? It means he always has been and he always will be. So we talked about mysteries. There's one. <laughs> I don't understand eternality that he's always been, he always will be, that his nature is without beginning or end, and that his attributes never began, and they'll never end. He is eternal. I remember growing up in elementary school, as I walked, just picture this. So 
common hallway, girls' bathroom. I never saw that one. Uh, guys' bathroom right here. Turn in, walk in, three sinks and a mirror, three sinks and a mirror, and then you had your, your stalls and, and stuff like that back there. So in this section right here, it was these banks of sinks with mirrors that just bounced off each other, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And because the glass wasn't perfect and there was, you know, imperfections in it, eventually this reflection tunnel slowly turned just like this infinite corridor that just went all the way down. And eventually you could see your reflection and it would just start to disappear. That was the closest I ever got to understanding eternality because it just seemed like it went on forever. And we would try to count back and forth, back and forth, and we'd eventually lose the number. But that's all I could, that's, that's all I could grasp. And even now to this day, I think... Okay, so yeah, but after a thousand years, what's that? Okay, no, 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 no. After a hundred thousand years, no. Okay, no, no. After a million years, no. After ten million years, like right. And I can't even imagine next month, right now. Sometimes, but eternality. This idea that God has always existed. And so, Psalm ninety says this: Before the mountains were formed or brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth, from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. A thousand years is like a watch in the night. So a thousand years is like six hours. So God's eternality. This means that the things of God are also eternal. So, so not just his character, but him, his promises, his salvation, his plans, which means that when he deals with us, he has eternity in mind, not our just blip time on this earth. So that's important to remember that as he deals with us, he doesn't just have our, like, two weeks prior, two weeks ahead. You know, that's, that's not, he's much, much, much bigger than that. He's eternal. Secondly, he's omnipotent. Uh, as he deals with us, he is omnipotent, which means whatever plans he has, he has the power to carry out. No one in human history has ever been able to say this. No one has ever in human history been able to do whatever they wanted. There's people who think they can, but that's not true. Like, if they did, they had very, very, very small dreams. Like, I want to teleport. Like, right? Who doesn't want to teleport? I mean, how cool would that be? I mean, just like, I don't feel like walking home right now. Boop, I'm home. Like, time saver would make a lot of sense. And, and, and I can't because I'm not omnipotent. Only God has been able to do whatever he wants. And he's also sovereign which means he possesses supreme and ultimate power. He not only has the power to do things, but he has the right to do them. It's different than having the power and authority to do it. He has the right because of his status as God to do these things. A terrifying verse, but also very awesome. This is one of those ones that if you highlight in your Bible, even if you don't, you should still circle it. Psalm 115, verse 3. Do you guys know what it says? Anybody know that one by heart? It's real simple. It says, the Lord is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. Like, and then drop the mic. The Lord is in the heavens, and he does as he pleases. No one has ever been able to say that of themselves. Again, in arrogance, some may have claimed that, but no one has ever been able to say that they do whatever they want. Or Jeremiah 18, which uh, we, we don't have time to get into, but Jeremiah goes down to the house of the potter. The Lord tells me to go watch the house, go to the house of the potter. And the potter is forming a vase, and it says the clay becomes spoiled in the potter's hand, and so he remakes it into something else. And Jeremiah is like, cool story, God, thanks for that. What? Why? And the Lord says, 
listen, Jeremiah, I, <laughs> and I'm going to paraphrase, I can do whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. If I tell a nation that they're, they're doomed for destruction and then they turn, then I can bless them. And if I tell a nation they're blessed and they turn from me, I can destroy them. They're clay in my hands. I can build up. I can tear down. I can reshape. I can do whatever that, I can put it through one of those Play-Doh things that makes spaghetti. Um, I can form it into a little boy. I can, when I was a kid, I took pottery in kindergarten. I made my parents an ashtray. They don't smoke. <laughs> I think it was supposed to be a cup. Turned out to be an ashtray. I think my teacher called my parents and wondered why I made them an ashtray. I don't know why. I was terrible at it. But, you know, as a kindergartner, I was just kind of doing whatever. I had control over the clay because it's clay. Right? It's clay. Paul says in Romans that, that the clay doesn't rise up and talk against the potter. That would be freaky. It's an illustration that we can easily understand because it's clay. And then there's actually a human forming it. So the clay is not making any choices. So that's the illustration that, that the Lord chooses to use to show his relationship between us and him. That he is the potter. We are the clay. And that can be terrifying unless you know who he is. Unless you know who he is, the prospect of him doing whatever he wants whenever he wants is terrifying unless you know who he is, because knowing him is the key to loving and trusting him in the midst of difficult times as he's doing these things. And so, like the psalmist David in Psalm 100, Psalm 107, Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. Or Psalm 145, when you get a chance, read Psalm 145 and just look at the character of God. A, a quick illustration on this. Um, so my wife Tiffany, and I told you I was in ministry for a long time down in Chino Hills, Southern California, anybody down from Inland Empire? It's an empire. Do you know that? It's an empire, Inland Empire. Uh, Chino Hills, down on the edge of San Bernardino, um, was a youth pastor. Church days for me were long days. We would start, um, I'd be at church by about 6.30 or so, sometimes earlier. We'd kind of all hands on deck, help get coffee going, donuts going. The whole, you know, every church got coffee and donuts. Um, and, uh, and then we'd do the first service and second service, and I'd teach and have meetings or whatever. And I'd get home about 1 o'clock. And so I'd often go home and be hangry. Um, and that's if I didn't stop at AMPM to get some sort of disgusting big gulp and cheeseburger from the hot sandwich aisle at AMPM. I, I can't even believe I just confessed that. <laughs> but I would do that sometimes when I was especially hungry. But I remember getting home this one day and I was especially hungry and, and had a kind of a rough morning at church. And I parked the car in the garage and I open up the garage door. And the first thing I see is the bright red juice of the bottom of a ground beef styrofoam tray just kind of sitting oddly by the door. And I thought, oh, no. And as I opened the door, there in the middle of my entire downstairs living room was my stupid golden retriever in the middle of the entire contents of our kitchen trash can, that was so overfull. I think one of the boys was supposed to have taken it out like three days before that, and we'd just been stuffing it down in there. And my dog, Abby, had taken this entire trash can full of not just like mailers, okay, or like clean paper plates. I'm talking like the gross trash, and it was just everywhere. Well, the thing was interesting is my, my wife and kids were both home. So you can picture me coming home. I'm a little 
hungry, I'm a little angry already, and I see all this, and I think, I cannot believe my wife left this for me. Just, she's probably upstairs watching football, (laughs) eating chips, drinking a Coke, and here I am coming home, and she just left this for me, like of all the nerve. And I just got, I went, like so angry, and I went, Tiffany! (laughs) I was just like my most angry voice ever. And right as I was about to say the next sentence, the Holy Spirit says, hey, stupid. <laughs> Might want to dial that back down a little bit. <laughs> and just in, 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 a, in a nanosecond of processing, the Holy Spirit just said real gently, is this the character of your wife? Is that, is that who she is? She just comes home and she's like, I'll let Jason clean it up. I mean, my boys, yes. <laughs> Hands down, absolutely would have done it. But I'm like, that is not my wife. And in just that minute, that was a second of processing, I went, and said, finish the sentence. You're not going to believe what Abby did. You know, of course, she comes downstairs and goes, I've been upstairs for five minutes. How did this happen, right? And so we cleaned it up together. We laughed. We kicked the dog outside. And, and, but, but here's the thing. Maybe day two of marriage or day two of dating, maybe that is her character. I don't know. Like, But after 20-some years of being married, guess what? I knew her character. And I knew that although what presented itself on the outside to be one way couldn't be that way because it did not line up with her character. Now, you know where I'm going with this. If we don't know who God is, then when difficulties come, we will find ourselves in the position of being angry, crying out, and, and, and belligerent, and unbelieving, and all these different things because we're, 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 we're blaming a God that we don't truly understand that, that what his character is like. So we, got, we have to get to know him in the midst of these times. I've taken way too long with this. Morgan, I told you I could have gone like three hours with this. Um, okay, so we have to get to know God. It's our key to loving him and trusting him in the midst of difficult circumstances. And you're not the point. Three, true joy is found not in our circumstances, but in Christ alone. True joy is not found in our circumstances or blessings, but in Christ alone. I love this because it means that our source of joy cannot be taken from us. If if your joy is found in your circumstances or in the ways that God has chosen to bless you or in your possessions or, or whatever the things, then all those can be taken away just because the Lord chooses to bless someone. But what does he say to Jeremiah? I may choose to bless someone, and then I may choose to take away the blessing. I'm God. Clay, God, clay, God. Like, that's my prerogative. And if our joy is found in the things that he's given us or in our circumstances rather than in him, then it can be taken away. Psalm 16 tells us that in his presence there is fullness of joy. And at his right hand there are pleasures evermore. 1 Peter 1, um, and I know uh, I'm going long, but we got to read this. 1 Peter 1, I'll turn there. I probably should have had it already bookmarked, but I wasn't thinking of reading it, but I will now. First Peter 1, again, this is to believers who know Christ. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation 
ready to be revealed in the last time. Look at all those things that it tells us about the nature of who God is, all the things that he has done for us. But then it goes on, in this you rejoice. So in this, in what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, in those things we rejoice, though now for a, uh, a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our joy and our hope is in Christ. In this great exchange, in this great exchange in our salvation process, Christ takes our sin and our filthiness and our unrighteousness and gives us his righteousness. This unfair exchange. He gets our sin, we get his righteousness. We don't get him and his righteousness and then a bunch of good stuff, and that gives us joy. No, 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 we get him and that's enough. We get him and he is our joy and he is enough. He is the prize. True joy is found in Christ, not in our circumstances. The beauty of the gospel isn't that we get all these blessings from the Lord. He may choose to bless us, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we get him and that we're made right with him. We're reconciled. We need to preach this to ourselves over and over again. We don't have hope because good times are around the corner. And you may have even said that to someone. Hey, hey better days are ahead. Have hope. God's going to turn things around. That's not in the Bible. I wish it was, but it's not. Sometimes God doesn't turn things around. They get worse and then you die. Ask some of the early church leaders who were in prison, right? The, ask John the Baptist if God turned it around. No, he got to see Jesus, and that's awesome. But God does not promise that our circumstances will get better right around the corner, and then so you can have hope because better days are ahead. That's holding God to promises that he's never made. And when you hold God to promises that he's never made, you will consistently be disappointed. Because the God that you've created in your head who made those promises to you, most likely not the God of Scripture. And so if you hold on to things like God will always heal me when I'm sick, how, you know that doesn't work. God will always do this. God will always do this. God wants me to do this. God, if, if you're holding God to promises that he's never made, you will just set yourself up for disappointment. Our true joy has to be found in him, not in our circumstances. Number four, and we'll, we'll get to land, land the plane here. Um, Every circumstance in life can be an opportunity to worship. Every circumstance in life can be an opportunity to worship. How do I know that? Because we're not the point. And that knowing him is the key to trusting him and loving him in the midst of difficult times. And true joy is found not in our circumstances, but in Christ. If those things are all true, then every circumstance can be an opportunity to worship. And this is where I preach to myself because I stink at this. Because when things go wrong for me, I don't turn to worship. That's not my natural flow. That's not my natural reaction. I remember 30 minutes after we received this news of cancer, and my wife and I had left the hospital down in Fullerton, and we were starving because this appointment had taken, like, way longer than we thought. And we were like, oh, we'll, we'll go down there. We'll have the appointment. We'll eat lunch. It'll be, like, noon. It'll be great. It's now, like, 3.30. We're starving. We're distraught, but we have to eat. So we go to Subway. We're sitting in the corner booth, just, like, bawling over our turkey sandwiches uh, and in shock of this news. Um, 
and then we just worship the Lord. Nope. <laughs> Total lie. Did not worship, didn't think about worshiping, was not on my radar. But as we learn and grow through these difficult circumstances and we see that the scriptures tell us that these are meant for our joy, for his glory, for our good, and that these are temporary things that the Lord is working through, even if we can't see it, we can worship. And how do I know this? Because I've read Job. Man, just, I mean, like, I, I've, I've, I've suggested that you read Psalm 145. Do that. But if you, get, if you need to, read Job 1, 13 through 20 again, and read about what happens in Job's life as it completely falls apart and he loses nearly everything in his life. And he falls down, rends his clothes, and worships in the midst of this incredibly horrible time. And I don't think I'm topping Job on the uh, difficulty scale. Like, right, like my 25% loss in the stock market uh, doesn't really quite compare to Job, right? Um, getting, getting sick with COVID and, um, or, or, or whatever. We could just fill in the blank with whatever. It doesn't compare to Job. There's no way you're going to win that battle. But more than me just telling you that you need to worship, the Lord is gracious that he shows us this over and over and over again. James 1, consider it all joy, my brothers. A lot of you know this verse. When you encounter trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that endurance, that testing, have its perfect result in you that you may be complete and lacking in nothing. How does it start? Consider it joy when you encounter trials of many kinds. Consider it joy. And you worship in that time. Or Romans 8, 38, 39. One of the first verses I memorized after John 3, 16. For I am convinced, right? You guys know this one. That neither death nor life, Paul just starts listing things. Death, life, angels, principalities, powers, things present, and there are things to come. Height, depth, and then it's like, for any other created thing. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will separate us from his love. And so joy is found not in our circumstances or in anything, any created thing, but in Christ, in Christ alone. So whether we're walking the lake with our spouse enjoying a magnificent sunset or whether your back is just screaming at you for raking too many pine needles, right? Whether you're enjoying a fantastic, you know, incredible meal with your family at a holiday and it's perfect or whether you're receiving just terrible news from a doctor, like all that, and we could just go on and on and on and on. In all those circumstances, it's an opportunity to, to worship because everything is good and we're always happy. N no, that's not the Bible. <laughs> Everything's not always good. We don't always feel happy. But there's always a reason to worship because of what God is doing and because we know Christ and we know who's in charge And then finally, this is just a little aside. If you happen to not be in a time of great difficulty right now, you've probably been in them before, and you're probably smart enough to know that they're, they're coming, that more will come. The time to prepare for difficulty is not in the middle of difficulty. So um, you, a lot of you have been up here a lot. You've probably been up here in multiple seasons. You've probably been up here in the snow, right? Anybody been up here in the snow? Okay. Um, how many of you have ever driven up the mountain during the tourist season only to see the absolute horror 
of cars just all over the 180, just sideways sliding. You see the guy holding the chains. The wife's holding the instructions. They're sideways blocking the highway. Or there's the guy that's still trying to take the zip tie off of the chain box. You know, for the, you know what I'm talking about? For the first time, and they're going like, no clue. And I'm, you know, just <laughs> driving right by them. Uh, <laughs> right? I probably should stop. And now that I think about it, you know, I'll have to work on that. Um, the time to learn how to put on chains is not when you're driving up the 180 in the winter. Not the time. It's not the time. So I remember I was going away on a trip before, and, and, and I knew that my wife was going to be home alone, and there was going to be the chance that she was going to have to drive down the hill. So I'm like, let's go do the chains. We parked right down here, a nice flat area. We bust out the chain box, and I showed her how to do it, and I did one, and then she did one, and then she did the back two, and then we kept practicing, and then it's like, okay, you're good. You got this, because that's the time that you practice putting on chains. You don't prepare for an earthquake in the middle of an earthquake. You don't form an evacuation plan when something's on fire. Like, you don't learn to put on chains when it's snowing. You don't learn to prepare for difficulty necessarily when you're in the middle of it. You press into the Lord prior to that. You get to know who he is. You get to know his character. You steep yourself in good theology. You preach the gospel to yourself. That's what you do, and it should be the rhythm of your lives at all times so that when difficulty comes, you're ready for it and not scrambling or holding God to promises that he's never made. It, it makes sense in that. And often God is shaping us for the future. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, experience, I know, I know you have, where you read God's word for a daily devo and you're like, cool, don't know what learning about King Ahaz has to do with my life today or, you know, why Ehud, the left-handed judge, is going to make any difference in my life or, you know, why this passage from 1 Corinthians means anything right now. And then like three days later, you're like, oh, 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 I just read that. Have you ever had that experience? You're like, oh, I, Paul, Paul talked about that, and you're ferociously turning back through your Bible, and you're like, oh, there it is. Because as much as I wish I could say that every single time we read God's word, that it was the illumination we needed for that exact moment, that's not, not in Scripture, and that's not reality. Because a lot of times as we're pouring into the Lord, pressing into him, he's preparing us for something that's coming down the road. So we need to be diligent in doing that. And so every difficulty in life, is in the hands of the potter. Every single circumstance in life is in the hands of the potter. And he is not finicky. He doesn't have whims. He doesn't just change his mind all the time. He's not just flying by the seat of his pants. He's not being caught by surprise. He is good and loving and sovereign over all. And the great revelation doesn't come when we understand that life is hard. The great revelation maybe comes when we understand that life is hard, but that we can thrive and grow in the midst of those difficult times when our focus is kept in the, in the right place. He loves you. Like, you have to look no further than the cross to see that evidenced, that he loves you, and he's for your good, and he's for the advancement of the gospel, and he is after his glory, and he gets that glory that he is after when his people press into him even when life is hard and when it's difficult. And then, and then like in Matthew, Matthew 5, 16, Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. I think this is meant to be carried out in lives with persecution and difficulty. That when people see your example in the midst of those things that normally brings the world to its knees, you are rising above that. 
because of not how awesome you are, but because of how awesome God is. And people see that, and it will cause them to bring glory to the Lord. So every difficulty in life, whether brought on by the fact that the world's broken or because we mess up or because other people mess up, whatever it may be, all, all of those situations have the opportunity to see you grow, to, to glorify the Lord and to bring him um, honor in the midst of that time. And they're for your joy. They're for your joy. So we had the opportunity to give him glory in the midst of all of those things. Let me, let me pray for us, then we'll dismiss. God, thank you so much for this group, um, for their service up here, for their, um, their desire to give of themselves for the benefit of others. And God, I know there's no one in this room that's immune from difficult times, uh, but God, you promise us in your word, you promise us that life will be difficult. I mean, that's all over scripture, but you also promise us that in the midst of that difficulty that you are forming and shaping us and it is for our joy and for your glory that we go through these times. And so God, remind us of that in the various trials that we will encounter, but as Peter says, that are for a short time. They may feel long, but they're, they're a short time. God, help us to, uh, to press into you in the midst of those times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys are five minutes late, so you better get over to the dining hall because I think you got a snack ready for you tonight because it's been about five minutes since you ate last. And so uh, get on over there. And then tomorrow's schedule is basically the same except for at 3 o'clock. If you're wanting to do the high ropes course, so Alan and Peggy are going to do that first. You guys watch them do the zip line down. Uh, so if, if you want to follow the Todds on the, <laughs> the ropes course, that's at 3 o'clock. And where should they go? To the activity center. Yeah. And then as far as your work stations tomorrow, same place as today. Yeah. I'm looking at Morgan. Yeah. Cool. There you go. Stick with the plan unless you're told otherwise. That's good advice throughout life in general. So you guys, thanks again. Have a great night.